We're in this last book of the Old Testament, 39 Old Testament books. Chronologically, it is the last book uh, that was written. After this uh, prophecy, no further word until the preaching of John the Baptist. And uh, Malachi is speaking and preaching and prophesying in a time of indifference and decline in the church. Superficially, perhaps you wouldn't have seen it. The priests were offering the sacrifices, the people were bringing the offerings, the temple had been built, the walls had been rebuilt, the gates were set in place, there was a measure of peace and prosperity, uh, things were settled. But uh, sadly it seemed that things were just going through the routine, people going through uh, the motions, there was a carelessness in what was being done. And to a superficial visitor, perhaps he or she wouldn't have seen very much amiss. But in the heart of things, uh, God has a contention with his people. So he raises up a man, Malachi, who is burdened through uh, what he has to say. I mean, the opening verse here, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. This man is uh, saddened. He's not a grump. He's not awkward. He's sad. He's burdened by the situation and the message he has to take to the Lord's people. And God has a contention through Malachi. And the people are shocked. You see this many times, a cycle of uh, seven contentions that God has with his people. And uh, the people in effect are saying, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? We, we don't see it that way. But it's God's point of view that matters. If God had something to say to you or I tonight, what would it be? Well, let's open our ears. What has the living God got to say to his blood-bought children? They were shocked. But let's bear this in mind and always bear this in mind. It's not an easy book, uh, but the aim of the prophecy is restoration. Always bear that in mind, that God is our heavenly Father. And there's not one of us here who will claim to be perfect. Is there something we need to be challenged about collectively? Is there something I need to be challenged about and you need to be challenged about on an individual level? We need to grow. So we need to hear where we're going wrong in certain areas. And we're praying that we will grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're praying that we be changed from one degree of glory to another. One of the most um, widespread problems, I believe, in the Christian church, and I'm a part of that, is the fact that we can begin the Christian life very enthusiastically. And uh, on the gallery here, we've got a fine bunch of students, and uh, probably still bright-eyed and bushy-tailed spiritually and keen and running things like missions, and wanting to speak with their uh, friends about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I once sat in a similar area, and I was in the Christian Union, and uh, I was involved in missions, and one very memorably comes to my mind, in 1980, with a man who's now in glory called Nigel uh, Lee, and Lindsay Brown in, involved, and uh, Gwyneth Cotton, as she was at the time, and uh, Myrian uh, Thomas were the staff workers, and it was a glorious week of, of mission. And at that time, many keen, enthusiastic Christians. I remember Wynne speaking about this and uh, 
and giving a little note of warning. Don't assume it's always going to be that way. You've got to fight. You've got to fight to keep on pursuing Christ because the world, the flesh, and the devil are out to get you. Powerful, powerful forces. And what happens so often in the Christian life is that we hit a plateau. Now that we're backsliding, we're not going down, but we just hit a plateau, cruise control, and go through the motions. I believe that's what's happening here in Malachi's time. I believe it's so common in the church today. I wouldn't presume to say it's uh, the situation here, because as I said before I started preaching, I'm meeting so many hearty believers who just love to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is so encouraging uh, to me and uh, to, uh, to Jill as well as we, uh, we mix and get to know you better. But it was certainly the situation here They've hit that plateau. But God's aim in his contention is one of restoration. And let's not forget that uh, core of God's message to the people in Malachi's time, even though they've grown indifferent. Verse 2 of chapter 1, and we focused on this last time, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. It's a, a banner heading not only over Malachi, but I'm sure over the whole of humanity, the whole of this gospel age. Reminds me of this verse in uh, Song of Songs, chapter 2 and verse 4. The Shunammite woman saying, He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. What a banner to have displayed over us this evening. But the Shunammite again, she knew that time of decline. And by the time we reach chapter 5 of the Song of Solomon, uh, Solomon comes knocking on the door, rattling the door latch, but she can't be bothered to get out of bed that particular morning. And uh, he departs. And he, she, she's lost that, that presence. So that's where we are in this particular book. And we looked at verses 1 through to 5 last time. But now, this evening, verses 6 through to 10 in particular. And we have to address this issue, and the the passage is very clear. Where did the decline begin amongst the Lord's people? Where did the slide begin? Well, God begins his contention with the priests. He begins with the priests. Verse 6, A son honours his father, and and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honour? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Chapter 2. It's a little foray into chapter 2 and the first verse or two. And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. So there's a slide and a decline, and God has a contention with his people. But where does it begin? Well, in Malachi's time, it began with the priest. The problem started at the top. So there's the background to this section we're looking at this evening, 6 through 10. 
Malachi begins his message and opens up. Here we have it, verse 6. A son honors his father and a master and a servant his master. And you can almost feel the, uh, the people saying, maybe the priests are saying, oh, we're going to have some uh, good moral teaching. Uh, how, how to be a good father and how to be a good son and how to be a good servant. And what's needed today is a bit of respect for fathers and a bit of uh, respect uh, for, for masters. It seems we're going to have some much needed teaching on these moral areas. What we're going to have, and it's common today, is some how-to-do preaching. This is what you need to do. But what it's going to be is not how-to-do preaching, but it's going to be how-to-be preaching. Before you can do anything of worth for the Lord, you need first to be, to be. It's not then that we do nothing, we do do things. It's important to honour and to respect, to be a father, to be a son, to be a servant, to be a master. But before I can do, I must be. And perhaps there's far too much how to do preaching. We need to begin with what we ought to be. And that's what's going to come here. And as Malachi begins, maybe they're thinking, well, this is what we need, a bit of respect and a bit of honour. But very quickly, they run onto the left hook of the Lord through Malachi. A son honours his father and a servant his master. And then here it comes. If then I am the father, where is my honour? And if I am a master, where is my reverence is the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name. So here is the Lord through Malachi getting straight to the heart of things. The attitude of the priests towards God and their heart issue. Where is my honour? Where is my reverence? The accusation comes from God. He's saying that you despise my name. And the people, the priests, starting with the priests, they are shocked. Here it is, the end of verse 6. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? There's a real shock. Now, do we honour God? Do we love God? Does He have our hearts? Will we be shocked if He were saying these things to us, in what way have we despised your name? Well, then the next little section here, verse 7 through to halfway through verse 8, we have the, the, the proof that comes. Uh, their hearts are being revealed by their actions. How they think about the things that you are doing, the Lord is saying to them. In what way have you despised my name? Well, here it is, verse 7. You offer, you priests, you offer defiled food on my altar. But you see, again, they're still having a contention back with God. In what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. 
And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is this not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Their hearts are being revealed by their actions. What are they doing? The priests now, receiving from the people a blind animal, a lame animal, a sick animal, they receive it, they accept it, they then prepare it, and they offer these defective animals to the Lord. Now what was required? What was actually required by God from the priests and from his people? Well, the requirement was the best. The requirement is the best. The best that we can possibly offer him. Let's just go through. Well, let me begin, right? Straight back at the very first sacrifice that's recorded in the Bible. Genesis chapter 4. The first offerings made to God by humankind. Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel. So it's a, a Sabbath morning. And Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel are about to worship God. Let's start at verse 1. Now, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also bought, brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but not Cain and his offering. What was the issue? What was the issue? It wasn't that Cain brought things from the ground that God had cursed. And it wasn't that uh, particularly um, Abel brought a sheep and it was the sheep that was a better offering than the produce of the ground. Cain could only bring uh, what he did. He was a, 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 a tiller of the ground and, 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 and Abel was the, 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 the shepherd. So Abel brought what he could and Cain brought what he could. But clearly in the passage here, there's something of an attitude. And we'll think about this, perhaps God willing, uh, next time in more detail. But it seems very casual what Cain did. He brought some of the produce of the ground and presented it to the Lord. But Abel, now the words are very careful here. It seems there's a thought process going on. There's some uh, care being taken. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock. There's his flock. Now, I, I want the firstborn. And not only that, and of their fat. He brings the best of the best. He takes time and he selects it and he brings it to the Lord. So the alarm clock goes off in their, their home and uh, Cain, I don't know, dashes outside, grabs some carrots and runs to the service. 
Abel set his alarm clock a little bit earlier, and even if the clocks had gone forward, he gets up that little bit earlier, and he takes his time to go carefully and to select and to prepare and to bring before the Lord the best that he could bring. Well, how are we doing today? What are we bringing to him? God is a great king. It's repeated throughout the passage there in Malachi chapter 1. What are we bringing to him this evening? He deserves, he demands, he requires the very best. Leviticus chapter 4, the rules on the offerings that are to be brought. Leviticus 4 and verse 3. If the anointed priest sins and brings guilt upon the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Chapter 4 of Leviticus and verse 22 if a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord his God in anything which should not have been done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, he didn't know before, but it's brought now to his knowledge, it hits his conscience or someone points it out, he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish. And uh, chapter 4 and verse 27. If any one of the common people, so we've gone from priests to rulers, now the common people. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hands on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. And on and on through Leviticus, all of these pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that great sacrifice for sin. Leviticus 16, and the day of atonement and the scapegoat and the other goat and the sins confessed upon the head of the goat, and these are perfect uh, goats from the flock. And behold, the Lamb of God, Jesus fulfilling it all, who takes away the sin of the world. Sacrifice is costly. But to these people, sacrifice was far too easy. Their hearts were being revealed by their actions and we can only do the right things before God if we are right before God actions are not unimportant we need to do but first of all we need to be that's what God required that's what God deserved the very best but in Malachi's time the reality was altogether different they're offering the blind animals. They're offering the lame. They're offering the sick. 
When it comes to verse 13, we won't reach this this evening, but verse 13 of chapter 1. And you also see, oh, what a weariness. You don't get up on the Lord's day morning thinking, yes, this is the day the Lord has made. They're not calling the Sabbath a delight. To them, it's a weariness. It begins in the heart and in the mind. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord. The reality is, they bring the dregs. It's easy worship. It's a costless sacrifice. And the people primarily responsible are the priests. And over time, this is what has happened. The people bring defective sacrifices. And the priests accept them. And the priests offer them. And the problem began at the top. That's the situation. And Malachi's contention begins with the priests and the leaders in Jerusalem at the time. And here it just impresses upon me and upon you the awesome responsibility on leaders in any local church setting. Here's some verses from the, the New Testament now. Book of James and chapter 3 and verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Leaders in a local church, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that we will be assessed, not for heaven and for hell, but how have we used the grace and the gifts that God has given to us. And we're warned here that it's leaders and teachers who will receive a stricter judgment on that day. Again, the awesome responsibility of a leader here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Paul saying this, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. If people want to know what a Christian life looks like, read the Bible. Have a look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. If ever there was a man who walked on this earth as he should walk, is the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you struggle, the Bible seems very plain and clear here, leaders have a great responsibility. If you wonder, uh, how should a Christian marriage be conducted? Uh, what does it mean to be eager to share my faith? What does it mean uh, to walk in the light of the commands of God? then a young believer ought to be able to look at a Christian leader. He ought to be able to look at a pastor or an elder and think, that's what a marriage should be. That's what it means to live for Christ. I understand these verses in the light of how he or she is living. Not many should presume to be uh, teachers. And Paul's saying here, now, imitate me, but only as far as I imitate Christ, And then a very powerful little section in 1 Peter and chapter 5. 
starting at verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. Being examples to the flock. Oh, the awesome responsibility on pastors and elders and leaders in a local church situation. Again, looking at Malachi's time superficially on the service, on the surface, from a distance, all seems to be going on fine. But as the services went on, God is displeased with what is taking place. In fact, it rises to such a height that here in verse 10, uh, God calls out, Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord. I have no pleasure in in you, says the Lord. You bring your half-hearted offerings. You find it wearisome even to come to the Lord's altar. You're bringing defective sacrifices. I wish there was somebody who would shut the doors. What you are doing does not please me, says the Lord. Malachi He's burdened by what he sees. He understands what's going on. He feels a heavy burden. Again, he's not a grump throughout Jerusalem. He really is just a sad prophet who has to bear this message to God's half-hearted people. But here's the nub then. The priests, they are oblivious. In what way? How have we despised you? In what way are we defiling you? And the problem is a problem of the heart. God then brings an illustration for them. Uh, if you think I'm being harsh on you, says the Lord, that you bring a, a blind animal to me, a lame one, a sick one, one you've even stolen from somebody else, well, give me that, that'll do as my offering. And you present that. Try doing it on an earthly level. Now, in Jerusalem, there was a, a governor. And uh, it's interesting that the term for governor here is a Persian word for a Persian governor. And they were under still Persian uh, authority. Well, you try then taking such an offering in such an attitude to the, the governor there in Jerusalem and see what he might think about it. Would you do that? If you were summoned before the Persian governor there in Jerusalem, would you take something of a substandard nature. I remember being thrilled to um, receive through the letterbox, it was in 2014, it was an invitation from the Queen to go and have tea with her at Buckingham Palace. Now, it wasn't, uh, I could take somebody with me, and I chose to take uh, Jill, uh, my wife, I could have chosen anybody but I did choose you. 
And uh, I have to say, it wasn't just me and Jill, but there were thousands of others as well. It was one of her garden parties. But we were going to go and see the Queen. And uh, how did we think we should present ourselves? Well, I went into uh, training. I went on a little bit of a diet. I thought, I need to lose a bit of weight. I need a new suit, and I got a, a new suit and um, chose very carefully. And Jill went and chose a, a dress and an, an outfit, and she had a lovely uh, hat, and we went to Buckingham Palace, and uh, we weren't out of place. People were well presented, looking very tidy. I can see the Queen now coming down the steps uh, with... Uh, with Philip and Charles and Camilla were there and other members of the royal family just mingling and talking. She was in a lovely uh, lemon uh, outfit. It was a bit of a breezy day. And my abiding memory of that day is uh, watching Jill chase her hat across, across Buckingham Palace lawn as the breeze took it and it tumbled across the grounds and she was hurtling after her hat. But the Queen, Buckingham Palace... How do we go? How do we present ourselves? Our hearts were in it as we went to Buckingham Palace. That's on an earthly level. What was happening in Malachi's time? They were going through the routine. Anything will we'll do. All the services going on. Why should there be a problem? Who's culpable? Though it starts with the priest. The people were culpable too. We're going to be coming on to that. Malachi has more to say. But it began at the top. Why do they accept such an offering? Take it up with that will not do. And to teach the people what is needful. But more than that, to go to the heart of the issue. He is a great God, King of all the earth and all the universe. What is God's attitude to half-hearted worship? Stop that somebody would shut the door. I have no pleasure in this. This is unacceptable. Well, the application, you and me, we've been doing some as we've gone uh, along here and now. Pastor, assistant pastor, elders, deacons, members, Sunday school workers, uh, youth leaders, kids clubs, uh, soup, what's it, tea and coffee servers, welcomers on the door. Uh, in what way should we use our gifts? Now, what we live at the time of full gospel light. Uh, in Malachi's time, they were still in the era and the arena of pictures and types and shadows and promises of better things to come. But for us, the sun has risen in all its glory. We have the gospel in full technicolor. I remember in, in our student days, the first property that we owned, we didn't own it, we rented uh, the back lower floor of a house on Marlborough Road. We didn't have the whole ground floor, the rear. You went into the lounge, then you moved straight through to the bedroom, then straight through to the kitchen. In the kitchen was a shower. And off the lounge, up two steps through a stained glass door under the stairs, was the, the loo, and um, it was all pretty compact. And um, I remember student days, it was 1981, the Wimbledon final. And uh, we invited friends round to watch the Wimbledon tennis final. And they came because nobody had a telly apart from us, 
I remember, you know, see, yes, that's what it used to be like. You don't know you're born, used to. Oh. Our telly was part of a TV, tape deck, radio combo. And so the TV was a two-inch, yep, we had a two-inch TV. Black and white, I'll let you know, monochrome. And um, about maybe eight or nine students, and we sort of sat on the couch and behind the couch and had this on the, t and we took turns to sit in the middle. Now, you could not see the ball, but you got an idea of where it was by the way these little figures were moving around the screen. And then we could check the score. What's the score? And somebody would look very uh, closely what the score was. That's Old Testament. You come to our house now. Well, we have, I'll just say the fact, it, it is a seven-bedroomed uh, Welsh longhouse. And the main lounge is a double-story former barn with a gallery. In the corner is a, how many, I don't forget how many inches, it's big. It's a big telly. It's very thin. And uh, it's colour. Can you believe that? It's colour. If you come to watch the Wimbledon final on this, there's no doubt where the ball is. In fact, you have to duck at times and it's going to come and hit you. Now, the contrast is dramatic. And what Malachi, and uh, the time he's preaching and exhorting, they had the two-inch black and white. It was shadows and types and prophecies. But we live in a gospel age. So now, think now, if the Lord had a contention with them, we have little excuse tonight for being half-hearted. How could I be half-hearted? How can we not be sold out for Him when we see what He's done for us? The Son of Righteousness has risen with healing in His wings and we have the Gospel that God sent His Son in fulfilment of all those Old Testament prophecies. We have Emmanuel, God with us, the Prince of Glory, the darling of the heart of the Father, who becomes one of us, Emmanuel, God with us. He comes from the glory of heaven. He comes to this sin-soaked, sad little world. He takes a human body like yours and mine. In fulfillment of all the types and shadows and prophecies and pictures, he becomes a man without ceasing to be God. He's the God-man, one person, two natures. He's come to meet our biggest need. And that's not the energy crisis, it's not the tax rises, it's not the war, respectfully, dreadful as it is. Our biggest problem is not the war in Ukraine. Biggest problem is sin before a holy God that will sink us to the depths of hell. And Jesus Christ has come to take away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. He's the fulfillment of the shadows and the types. He is the atoning Lamb of Leviticus chapter 16. They only had the shadow, we have the reality. We are looking back. We see it in glorious technicolor. What excuse do we have? To take away my sin, he did those two vital things. First of all, he lives the life I couldn't live in my place. He keeps the law of God. And then he dies as if he were me. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Now does your heart sing, Hallelujah! What a saviour! Death couldn't hold him. As prophesied, he rose again. The third day, he ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. He rules the whole universe as a time set when he will return. A trumpet sounds. Hope of heaven or the fear 
of hell. Our only hope to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Him the perfect sacrifice, accepted and well-pleasing to the Father. What a blessed people we are. Now here's the point. We are a blessed people, aren't we? And it ought to be obvious. Right? The way I live, the way I conduct myself with you as a fellow believer, and the way I interface with a lost world, it ought to be obvious, obvious, I'm living in that 60-inch full-colour TV age, I'm nodding the two-inch black and white, trying to squint and wonder what's going on and scratch my head. I know what's going on. He died for me. He lived, he died, he rose again. I'm forgiven. He took my sin. I have his righteousness. There's a day coming. I don't know how many circuits of the uh, sun I've got left on this little rock called planet Earth. But it can't be many. I've done, I'm on my 65th lap. Can't be many left. But I know where I am going. Is it obvious I'm a child of God? It needs to be. It needs to be. Well, we're coming to a conclusion now for this evening. What shall I bring him? What do I bring to the Lord? What is acceptable to him? Do I bring my body? Well, yes, we're thinking about that. When I'm doing the Bible studies on a Wednesday, we're looking at the, the gifts that he's given to every single believer. And these are gifts I'm going to use in my body, whether I'm using my mind to, to pray or my hands or my feet, my endeavours. I'm going to be using this body. So yeah, he, the body is important. Do I bring my money? Well, you know, there are staff who need to be kept and the gospel work needs to go on. There are lights that need to be kept burning. There's a building that needs to be warmed. And uh, I know there's somebody, a few here, on the property committee it's, it's like the fourth bridge here, keeping things going. And if you're looking for something to do, you might see the property committee people. I think they'd be delighted if you would uh, volunteer to help in an area such as that. There's many things needed, and we need our bodies and uh, our money and our time. And really, I've learned by experience, if you want something doing, if you want to volunteer, ask a busy man, because he'll make time, because busy people are normally well-disciplined. But then there are those busy doing nothing, busy the whole day through, trying to find lots of things not to do. You want something doing? My experience, find somebody who's already busy. They'll say, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll fit that in. I could do that. I've got an hour free looking at my diary. It's Tuesday at 7. Is that okay? Yeah, well, I'll, meet you. I'll meet you there. Bring your screwdriver. Does he want your voice? Yes, he wants your voice. But most of all, if it's only your body, your money, your time or your voice, it's not enough. That's doing. But first of all, he desires that we be. Love him. Love him. Give him your heart. Rededicate your heart. Then get to doing. Let's start with the heart. Back to basics. Begins with the heart. He said to the children this morning, that, uh, that carol, what shall I bring him? The plan, we're, all, we're all children. What shall I bring him, poor as I am, if I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. 
If I were a wise man, I would do my part, yet what I can I give him? I give him my heart. And I got on to thinking about this wonderful Welsh hymn that nobody has actually translated well into English. Many Welsh hymns have been translated into English. I think of Jesus, Jesus, all sufficient beyond telling is thy worth in thy name are greater treasures than the riches found on earth. Such abundance is my portion with my God. Translated by Bobby Maynard Jones. But um, there is a Welsh hymn. It sounds wonderful in Welsh. But no one's translated it well that it can be sung in English. Calon Lan. And the translation of the first verse and chorus goes like this. I don't ask for a luxurious life, the world's gold or its fine pearls. I ask for a happy heart, an honest heart, a pure heart, Calon Lan, a pure heart full of goodness is fairer than the pretty lily. None but a pure heart can sing, singing the day and singing the night. When going is tough, a pure heart still sings. When things are difficult, a pure heart doesn't get grumpy or turn in on itself or point the finger. But a Calon Lan is still singing in the day and in the night. If I wished for worldly wealth, it would swiftly go to seed. The riches of a virtuous Calon Lan will bear eternal profit. Evening and morning, my wish, rising to heaven on the wing of song, for God, for the sake of my Saviour, to give me a Calon Lan, a pure heart. A pure heart full of goodness is fairer than the pretty lily. None but a pure heart can sing, sing in the day and sing in the night. Have you got a Calon Lan? Are you saved? I won't tire of saying this. If you're not saved, get saved. Don't leave here without him. We're going for a cup of tea in the back. Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Come and ask, how can I get a Calon Lan? My heart's a bad heart. I want a good heart. I want a pure heart. I want a Calon Lan. And if you've got one, keep it. Keep it polished. Above all else, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, Guard your heart, for from it are the well, is the wellspring of life. If you lose your heart, you've lost everything, and God is not pleased. We might as well shut the doors. We're going to finish with uh, a well-known hymn. It's 664. Um, Come thou fount of every blessing. It's a, it's a beautiful hymn. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. We're going to sing it to the tune Calon Lan. But before we get on to verse 1 of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, we're going to sing in Welsh, Calon Lan, the first verse and the chorus. Now, I'm not very good at Welsh. If you are Welsh and you can sing Welsh, sing up and sing from the heart in the day and in the night. And the words will be on the screen. And Welsh is pretty easy. It's phonetic. So um, have a go, and I'm sure you know it anyway. So we'll stand and we're going to sing in Welsh, then there'll be four verses in total, Callan Lan in Welsh, the first verse and chorus, and then straight on to Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing to the tune Callan Lan. So let's stand and sing. <laughs> Come 
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen. <laughs>